Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. As many of you know, we are going through a pandemic at the moment and with that goes our access to the studio. So we are making the most of our social distancing requirements and have created a studio at home. I'm joined today by PhD student at Washington University in St. Louis, B. Adis, postdoctoral researcher at the Catholic University in Rio, Brazil, Dr. Ana Carolina Balthazar, and professor of Italian language and literature at CUNY, New York, Dr. Julia Guarnieri, to discuss distance teaching and learning. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you're having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. B, would you like to start? Yes, hello. Um, I would have uh, an elderflower um, cordial. Do you have one right now? Because n- the listeners don't know you're sitting in a car. <laughs> I'm sitting in a car <laughs> in the Outer Hebrides. Not yeah. in a trunk. You're just, you're, you are in a car. <laughs> I am in a car, yeah. Um, and I have a big bottle of water and it has just been elderflower season. So it's more wishful thinking. I wish. So, I so you're, you're lying, but if water. you could, you would have elderflower. I would. That's what I'm dreaming of. You sure you wouldn't have alcohol in it? Just a tiny bit. Not right now because it's quite early. <laughs> never too early. I'm a mom. It's never too early. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got, we're going to go for a walk on the cliffs later. So I feel like that might be a bad idea. Okay, and you're in Scotland at the moment as well. Yeah, in the, in the Hebrides. Yeah. It's a beautiful view out your car window. Uh, listeners are just going to have to take my word on it, but it looks <laughs> your car window looks very nice right now. It is. It is very beautiful, yeah. Oh, great. Anna, Carolina, how about yourself? Um, I'm having a little bit of tea. Uh, in Brazil, it's 10 a.m. right now, so a bit early for alcohol, but yes, it's... Uh, it's a winter day here, but it's pretty warm as it's real. So a nice day, beautiful day. <laughs> Perfect. And Julia, how about yourself? Yes, like, like Carolina, uh, like Anna said, I am um, uh, also here. It's nine o'clock in New York and it's early. So I think I would have coffee or cappuccino or you know, yeah. the usual breakfast and maybe wine later. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like this in, in Brazil, but when I moved to Italy some time ago, years ago, I remember I ordered a, what I guess Tuscans call cappuccio, but I ordered it after 12 o'clock. And it was like, how could you be so messed up in the head having warm <laughs> milk after 12 o'clock? Don't you know it's bad for your stomach? And I was like, well, this is news to me because I've been having this for a while and I feel fine. So I found I had to get a macchiato was like the only way I could still get kind of what I wanted, but I didn't get my, the nose wasn't turned up as much. So it was like my, my little compromise to myself. I always thought that was really funny. Anyway. So it's my choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, B, we're going to have you start first because uh, sure. you are going to be a doctoral student. And my guess is when this lockdown happened, you were a little bit surprised about how university is going to function so I want to know, what are some of the concerns you have leading up to starting your doctorate in the fall? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I should say that, you know, my biggest concern right now is actually whether I'm going to be able to start it or not, because I'm in the UK where I'm from. 
and my um, university is obviously in America in St. Louis. Um, so I was actually meant to be moving to the U.S. on Sunday tomorrow. Oh, really? um, oh so is, you're going to do a hike instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, that's not going to happen. Um, obviously, the visa offices, well, not obviously, but in the U.K., the visa offices are all still closed. Um and so what I've been kind of witnessing over the last uh, couple of months is just is, is the university system, I guess, trying to also get its head around everything that's been happening and figure out what to do about incoming students and international students. And there's obviously been a lot of to and froing from the government about visa statuses that the universities have had to be keeping on top of. Um, but yeah, as of now, I'm still still unclear of whether I'll be able to start remotely um, or whether I'll actually have to defer for a semester or even possibly a year. So that's been my main concern so far because obviously it's just a lot of uncertainty and it's very hard to kind of plan. Um, But yeah, and then there's the question of um, if I do start, which I think has to be remotely at this point, then just how that will kind of um, you know, what that will be like to do that all online. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because I know, I mean, I've spoke to colleagues that are based in St. Louis and they were talking about how people are pretty good about wearing their masks, but as soon as you leave St. Louis, people stop caring. And there is in the U.S., as you know, it's it's quite diverse in terms of people's responses to government legislation. There are those that are inclined on trying to do the right thing, wear their masks, practice social distancing, and then there are those who are of the opinion that the government shouldn't tell them what to do, which is another episode for another time. But um, I can understand for those that are international students that that can be a real cause for concern in terms of, you know, how are we going to maneuver this? Because even if the universities did open, would you want to put yourself at risk if you don't know if the university's following proper precautions? Um, Julia, you are well experienced in online teaching as a result of your work at CUNY New York, but you mentioned that some of your colleagues have not had the easiest time transitioning. Um, You know, what sort of challenges have they faced and and why do you think that is and and I'm saying this not just in terms of online teaching in general but having to deal with these transitions in terms of safety precautions because you know B is obviously stuck in Scotland at the moment and we don't know what our situation is going to be like from a health perspective how are your colleagues not only just dealing with online teaching but also how are they how are they responding to the health measures that are being put in place? I do want to acknowledge uh, these uh, concerns and it must be very difficult being a student right now. Um, you know, it's such a, a difficult time for everybody has to le- relearn a new way of teaching or learning at the same time. So I want to acknowledge her, the difficulty that she's having. Um, I think, like uh, like you said, and um, it's um, sort of a mixed bag. Uh, there's some professors who are, you know, more um, they have a more intuitive approach to technology. They're not afraid of it, and so they are willing to jump in and learn new things. And they're open to to the situation and say, okay, it is what it is. I need to change. I need to. Re- destructure my syllabus and redo something new. 
And there are those who just have very difficulty in terms of technology, but not only in teaching, maybe they have an old phone or they just have a difficulty in basic skills of computer or technology. And those were are the ones that have most, most difficult or had the most difficulty. Um, so my college with many other colleges uh, around the United States, but I think the world um, has really stepped up and done a lot of professional development throughout the year. I've been involved as a mentor, as a teacher for faculty to teach them how to use uh, certain type of platforms or web 2.0 uh, applications. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes I think some professors should take responsibility that they kind of, you know, missed the ball or missed the opportunity to catch up. I mean, nobody um, expected this pandemic, but at the same time, you should learn new things that come along and not say, okay, I'm not doing this at all. You should be open to change, to professional development, whether it's technology or other things. I think like in any other profession, whether it's a business, you go through training and you learn new things. Yeah, I think, I think you've got a good point. Not to cut you off, but I'd be curious, Anna, Carolina, what has been your experience in terms of your colleagues' responses to following appropriate measures? You know, how, how is you know, Brazil as a general whole dealing with this pandemic and how are, how are your colleagues you know, responding to having to transition to online teaching? I think it, it depends on the university we are talking about. So people who are in the public universities, they are struggling a lot because the university doesn't really have the infrastructure to support them. Um, in my university, the undergrad uh, is private, which means we have a little bit more uh, money to invest on certain things. But even so, like um, I think a lot of the responsibility relied on, on lectures in the sense that not everyone necessarily had the good light, lightning in the house to like do video conferences or do not have a good computer. So suddenly, like from one day to the next, we have we had to have all these resources um, to be able to to teach. So um, so I can empathize. I think um, that I think on the top of having to learn a new technology or a new way of teaching, there was also uh, this challenge of infrastructure, uh, like not. A, equal access to infrastructure to be able to learn in a proper way. Sure. Uh, and for both Julia and Anna Carolina, I don't know if you've been teaching this term specifically, because um, I know at least at Oxford, um, when COVID hit, it was, uh, it was during uh, a break during the term. And from what I understand, the few colleagues I've spoken to, and I know Julia and I mentioned, I talked about this on the phone, they have yet to really know what it's going to be like for a lot of them, not all of them, uh, teaching students online because some of them during their, their third trimester, they uh, have to write papers. So rather than going to meeting with their lecturers, they're going to be writing papers anyway, so they wouldn't really have had the face-to-face interactions. And it's only now with university starting basically next month, more like October, that's when the real, the real hit is going to kind of happen. So I, I'd be curious to know if you have taught this term, and I think this would be good for you, B, just to kind of give you an idea of, of what you might anticipate. How have your students found transitioning to full-time online courses? And what have you done to try to bring the classroom alive through online teaching? Um, well, what we've done is, is, um, is, is, is training. Uh, we, 
we immediately got, uh, we one of the first things that university, my university put, we gave, gave us five days of pause. We were not on a break. We have a semester to semester. So they gave us five days to get together, you know, kind of, um, you know, try to converse the classes. That didn't work too well. In fact, a month later, they gave us another four or five days off because faculty and students were uh, really complaining that, that that wasn't enough. So, uh, so we had a, a sort of a start and then a break and then a start again. Uh, again, this was unprecedented. And um, I was lucky because my classes were on a hybrid mode. So I did go to school and have a, like a face-to-face -face classes, but I had some classes that were already online. So my student, the students who enrolled knew that we were online a little bit. So that wasn't a problem for me. But most of all, my college gave us a lot of um, tools and a lot of training immediately. Uh, and, and for example, I was uh, appointed uh, the tech liaison in my department. So each department appointed one or two people depending on the size. And I, I had office hours and helped align, of course, uh, faculty and I embedded myself in their courses and sometimes took care of the technical aspect they couldn't do. Uh, it was a lot of work, but I stepped up, you know. That's great. That's really, really great. And how about for you, Anna Carolina, what have you done to modify your lessons to accommodate online teaching for your students? I think for me, the, the main goal, once we had to move online suddenly, was to make sure um, I created an environment where students still uh, engaged with me and with their colleagues. So my challenge, I think, was how to create tools that they could engage with each other. So I kind of increased a lot the, le and the amount of exercise that I was sending them, and I basically divided them into groups. So they would do this into groups through WhatsApp, and then each time we met on Zoom, then I would call the, would call the groups. Uh, and this was very, I, I think, efficient because they kind of had this group with them. So each each student had four or five other students who were in their group and they were sharing this moment together. And I think uh, this worked very well. They got back to me telling me how they actually made friendships during this whole situation. So this is amazing. Wow. And I think, wow. Yeah. And I think that's fundamental to get a class working because once you get friendships going on, people feel more comfortable to talk on Zoom, for example, and this gets the class, the, the, the lecture going. And the I think this is a really good point because, B, you know, you're obviously have all the reason to be concerned. You know, university education in the U.S. is extortionate. And, you know, one of the issues, and we'll talk about this a bit more later on, is that you have um, American parents who are concerned that they're paying all this money for half of the services, right? So you have issues of parents suing universities saying, we're not getting our money's worth. We want our money back. Universities are going, we didn't, we didn't organize this university system in order to be able to pay back money for a global pandemic we didn't anticipate. And I would imagine, you know, how, how does it feel for you to be listening to two other academics talk about how, you know, their friendships being formed or that there is a possibility that you can connect even if you are um, further away from where you'd like to be? Well, yeah, I mean, I completely understand that concern for undergraduates. I think it's really valid. It's obviously different as a PhD student. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely have that concern. 
Um, but I have also experienced online courses before and I've had that experience that Anna Caroline was talking about where um, the students do manage to get engaged and I also made friends and connections, you know, through those online courses and we started, and that was as part of my anthropology masters at the University of Amsterdam. It was before the masters started. Um, so I actually feel like fairly positive towards online courses, the potential of them, but I think that the reason that that course was successful was because the lecturer was really, really engaged with the students and continued to send out information, gave a lot of feedback on everything that we submitted. Um, so one of my concerns in terms of online courses would actually be the level of kind of technological literacy of the professors, because knowing that that's not necessarily a format that they're used to and um, yeah, have family members who are professors. I know it's not something they would necessarily be very comfortable with. So I can just understand and imagine that it would be hard for people teaching to adapt to that. And that would then impact the experience of being a student on those courses. So Sure, sure. And I think this, yeah. this brings up a really good point because again, Julie and I, Julie, you and I had talked about this that um, depending on the institute, depending on the country, depending on the culture, teaching style, teaching presence isn't necessarily held to as high esteem as it should. So, you know, you might not have that presentation style, but you've got the research experience and you might have been hired based on the papers you've produced as opposed to your ability to bring in students to your class or what have you. Uh, and it's not a criticism. It could be a criticism. I'm going to say it's not. <laughs> but uh, the reality is that for those where teaching does not come naturally, this could be a make or break situation, I would imagine. Because when you are online, you need to be on show and you need to be engaging because if your students clock out, that could be a problem in terms of students wanting to sign up in future. In fact, um, what I'd be curious to know from, from all three of you, depending on your experience, uh, what, you know, how have these online courses or the potential of these online courses affected the possible numbers of students wanting to study at university? Anna Carolina, do you have any, any thoughts? Um, well, I think... I think what this is pointing out in a way, either, either we know what is the difference between teaching a class at the university or a YouTube video. Either we make this difference clear now or sure. we might lose a little bit of space. I don't think people will drop university in the sense that they still need the diplomas in many ways, but I think they are questioning, okay, what is really the difference? And I think there are many differences, obviously, but I think that's the moment for us to know how to address how different it is what we are doing uh, from a, a YouTube video. Um, and, and just to comment on what Bea was saying, like I, what I, what I did as a, uh, while I was teaching, I experimented with multiple tools and I always made it very transparent for the students that I was experimenting. So in a way like, and I, I even asked them for their help in many ways also. So I think the more transparent you go about all that, look, this is new to everyone. Let's work together to make this work. I think that's probably the best tone to, to conduct when we are feeling vulnerable about all that. Sure. Julia, any thoughts? Yes, I, you know, for, for like you said, a lot of, a lot of um, students who are enrolled in high-cost uh, universities, they, 
have complained, but um, you know, I don't think it's fair because this was unprecedented and you shouldn't blame or, or sue the college. Uh, if you have a problem, just go to another college, you know, go to a community college. Or, or don't go to college. I mean, I no, think that's I mean, kind of the options. I, I, and also what you're saying when you, when you talked about, I, I don't want to criticize. I, I do want to criticize. I think PhD I'll be honest, really, so do I, but don't well, tell I, the I listeners. I think PhD programs and people who run them should really take a look and see how many people are going to teach at Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard and how many are actually going to teach in, in colleges where teaching is fundamental. If you don't know how to teach, that's a problem. I would not hire mm. someone who writes papers, and that's all, because that's half of your profession. And uh, I think uh, they should look at the numbers. There, in, in the United States, this is something that is very clear. Very, very few. When you, feel, of course, as you know, I, uh, you know, jobs in academia, at least in foreign languages, are uh, yeah, dying. Well. But so, so the chances that you get a job just teaching literature are, you know, maybe two percent. So you're going to teach language. You're going to be in the classroom. Well, there needs to be that impact, doesn't there? I mean, when you're, I mean, one of the things I found just in my years of teaching is that if, if the students are clocking out, then you're missing, you're missing an opportunity there, right? I mean, yeah, okay. Everybody's human. Sometimes there are going to be some classes that click and some that don't. But if you're not making that connection, then what, what's the impact and what's the point? You know, what's yeah, the point of higher education? One of the things that I, I agree with, with Anna, um, when she said, for example, uh, we were all afraid that this semester, by the way, uh, in New York City, uh, we're all going to be aligned, the City University of New York, a public, we're a public university, is going to be online in the fall. But we're afraid that a lot, lot of people were not going to sign up. Everybody had this problem where students come back. We actually um, have exceeded our expectations. And, and one of the reasons why I think students are going to come back because people lost their jobs. They're in, in mm -hmm. there's satanic, what are they going to do home? So I think a lot of people are actually going to, they, they've shown they're actually signing up for college. Maybe the, the cheapest college like ours, uh, which is a public school. Um, and, and because they're so, people are unemployed. And so. Sure. Um, B, I'd be curious to know, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, this might, is this new information to you or have you kind of got this vibe anyway before you started? What, particularly on kind of people deciding that they don't want to pay for online courses? Sure, it could be that or, you know, one of the other big discussions that's been happening is, um, you know, we've got students who are in secondary school or in high school who are saying, what's the point of higher education? You know, why mm -hmm. put myself through this if it's just going to be online? Why spend the money that we don't have in the first place? Um, you know, I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I know people as well, um, like colleagues who were, uh, from the University of Amsterdam who are considering doing more studies who are now thinking they're not going to bother because it's probably going to be online. And I do think that's, uh, I think it very much depends how you study as well. The fact is that it is harder to maintain attention online. And so then it puts even more um, pressure, I guess, on the quality of teaching and whether someone's able to engage people online. But I think students have to know themselves and if somebody feels like for them an online course is going to be hard for them to stay engaged with then I think it's completely reasonable to think that's not something I want to spend money on and especially given the high cost of university education in the US which you know coming from the UK I, I feel is um, an issue anyway I'm, but yeah I think that you have to it's 
is absolutely right. If you're going to spend that much money on something, you need to consider if it's going to work for you. Um, and it's different. And it's not to say that it's the, it's the university's or those teachers' fault. Of course, it's unprecedented global pandemic. It's not about that, but it's just about you're going to put yourself in a huge amount of debt. It needs, yeah, you need to think that through and make sure you're going to be able to engage with the studies. Absolutely. Anna, Carolina, thoughts? Yeah, I don't know, because I'm, I just, obviously, I agree, like, people have to evaluate um, their, their priorities, mainly when they have a limited amount of, of funding to invest in this. But at the same time, I'm a huge um, defender of the space of the university and how much it gives um, the person um, a space and a time to reflect. So it's not just about having the campus, but about also having the friendships, about having access to, um, I don't know, readings that uh, with the help of tutors and so on. So I think once you are in the job market, life moves on so fast, for example. So I think this, this moment at the university is so precious. So I completely understand, obviously, um, people who don't have the money to invest on that, but we, we just shouldn't reduce the university or the moment of the university to having a campus. The university is so much more than that. Sure. Well, I think what we'll do is maybe just sort of end this with advice that the three of you might have for parents, students, and teachers who are still struggling with this idea of having to learn online. I think it'd be good to just have, you know, students experience and then academics experience as well. So that they you might give people a bit of reassurance that, you know, they're allowed to have their concerns, but that doesn't mean that this is a maybe a waste of time. I don't know. Um, maybe, Julia, could we start with you? Yes, I, I think uh, they'll be surprised that there is quality edu education also online, uh, like there maybe isn't quality education all the time on face-to-face. -face. Not all your professors are that great face-to-face. -face. So maybe if you see them online, it would be better. Um, I think there are a lot of professors who know what they're doing, um, who are very committed who, like uh, Ana Carolina, is willing to try different tools to make it engaging. And it's not, it's not as bad. I do want to acknowledge the cost for some students. And if that's a reason, maybe they should take a pause and go to a, a lesser expensive community college. But, but online education does not mean less than. I just want to make that clear. I think that's a really good point. B, how about yourself? Well, yeah, as I said earlier, my own experience with online courses has been really good. So, um, yeah, I think they definitely can work. And I think for me as well, I know, again, as a PhD student, I'm quite clear at, at this point about what I'm interested in and what I want to learn. And I know that my motivation is very much from me. So that makes it easier to engage with online courses. I do think I would Thinking back to my own undergraduate experience, I think I would have struggled a lot um, because I think being on campus, having that atmosphere um, made a huge difference to me. So yeah, if I was an undergraduate student right now, I might well think about delaying it. Um, I think the issue of cost is one that I just think it's interesting to think beyond the framing of whether or not it's worth it. I also think there's a really, it raises a question about just the level of funding given to universities and the fact that people are having to think, is this something I should invest in? There's another way of thinking about that. That's like, actually, if it was, had better funding and people had to pay less, then they wouldn't necessarily be having to make that call. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, 
that's my thoughts. <laughs> no, that's really good insight. Uh, Anna, Carolina, final thoughts? Uh, I think my advice would be a very practical one for everyone, like parents, students, and lecturers. Like, I think right now, everyone that had their routines suspended and transformed in a very unexpected way. So the more we can create structure and discipline in what we are doing, the better to organize our lives. So I, I have repeated to students all the time, create small rituals, like actually change mm. your clothes, get in front of the computer and Brush organize your teeth. Exactly. And if you can and if you actually have a little bit of space in your home when you can organize to study always there. So you kind of prepare your mind to enter this mode. So and also so parents realize you are studying so uh, so they don't interrupt you or and also with my colleagues I have like talked about the same things how we can create like contact students always in the same time so we, this gives them a sense of boundaries and limits since everything felt a little bit lost uh, with this whole pandemic so mm. yeah no, I, I think that's excellent advice um, and with that that's it from us at coffee and cocktails with your host dr ann wand i'd like to thank again b adis dr anna carolina balthazar and Dr. Julia Guanieri for joining us at the studio this afternoon. Additional information on distance teaching and learning will be available in the show notes. In the meantime, we have some excellent news we'd like to share with our listeners before they leave. Starting this month, we will be posting an additional podcast every month for our CNC Patreon supporters and VIP Pass members for as little as three pounds per month. If you'd like to listen live to Dr. Guanieri's talk on August 29th on tips and tricks for successful online teaching, all you need to do is become a CNC Patreon supporter by August 28th. Otherwise, many thanks to our new Patreon supporters for helping to make our show the success that it is. Adrian, Estra, JC, Michele, Andrew, Yelena, Norma, Hilaria, Alice, Elvira, Jessica, Rita, Sarah, Elena, Giovanna, Alina, Olivia, Martina, and Jennifer. For those of you who've enjoyed the show, please feel free to support our podcast by becoming a patron, where for as little as one pound per month, you can get early access to episodes, as well as live video and audio streams of the show, access to workshops, and much, much more. With a little bit of financial support, you can help our team to get paid to do what we love so we can continue to produce more episodes. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.